What does it mean, Messiah Matters? It means apart from him, we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Thursday, May 31st, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 220 with both kids accounted for. My name is Caleb Hag, <laughs> and with me, planning yet another trip to the west side, we wonder why he left anyway, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Going well, going well. We actually have people tuned in, which is really actually interesting to me. We have people in the, yeah. live, the live feed already, um, and you know, I know, I'm sorry, I have to apologize straight away. I know that the video is screwed up once again uh, on Rob's side. And I, I have located the problem. I've figured out the problem. I know why it's uh, doing what it's doing. I just don't know how to fix it. So we're going to try. Uh, it was too late. I've, I've isolated the problem right before we came on uh, the air. And uh, so um, within the next week, I'm going to try to fix the problem. And then all of the blinking that's going on on, on Rob's side will hopefully be fixed. And uh, we'll have it all figured out. And hopefully that'll, you know, it'll be nice and clean. Uh, I, one thing that we did fix in the past week, we got rid of uh, Rob's clipping. At least I think we did. I hope so. That'd be awesome. Um, we already got questions. Evelyn says, uh, the father says he punishes to to the third and fourth generation. But in Ezekiel, the sins of the father, we've done an entire show on this, Evelyn. I'm sure to give you a link at some point here soon. Um, Actually, there's also an article probably on our website that Tim Haig wrote about the verb pakad, pay kuf dalit, which is I will visit the iniquity. That uh, That's probably the verse she's talking about, and it's the verb pakad. Right. And so I, oh, it's either in one of his commentaries, Caleb, or it's one of the, one of the dozens of articles on our website. Um, we'll have to do some digging. Right. Good question, though. Good question. Good question. All right. Straight out of the gate, man. Straight out of the gate. All right. Hey, um, well, we're, we're recording this week on a different day. It's Thursday instead of Wednesday. And that is because um, I had to take my two and a half year old daughter uh, and uh, she had to go to the dentist, uh, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but she had cavities already. And so they had to put her under general anesthesia which was uh, very scary for a two-and-a-half-year-old. And, a half year old. and uh, so yesterday was the entire... Um, the entire day was basically given to that. Okay, so I've been told to bring down the bass on Rob. You were right on that, Rob. Let's see here. Um, and no, uh, Caleb does not feed his daughter candy all day. No, I don't. 
that that goes to grandma. Oh. <laughs> Did that help at all, uh, Michael? When Check I, testing. When I brought down a, his, uh, I took the an equalizer off. If that didn't help, then I have a different thing I can do. Um. Yeah, I need more control over Rob's audio. So, um, anyway, okay. While we wait for the uh, the control room to catch up, that helped. Okay, good. Um. Okay, let's say this real quick. Uh, Messiah Matters is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Torah Resource is uh, a wealth of all sorts of different things, including audio, video, uh, lectures, written materials, uh, a huge cache of articles for free. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And so we would encourage everyone to go to TorahResource.com and look around and sign up for uh, sign up for the Torah Resource mailing list if you're not already signed up that we have great deals every single week uh, that we send out and uh, we're we're actually uh, putting together more written material to send out to our uh, our mailing list totally free um, so you can do that on, on the website torresource.com uh, Tor, uh, Messiah Matters rather is also brought to you by our producers and um, you can become an associate producer and an executive producer and for that for either one of those uh, you get uh, special perks like a free mug that says executive producer or associate producer. Um, our executive producers can choose between a mug and a shirt. And our producers also get access, as do our supporters, but our producers also get access to our Messiah Matters More page, which is uh, specific to those who support Messiah Matters. And uh, we, put, we try to put extra content up every single week. And so a big thank you to our... Uh, we do actually have real executive producers and associate producers for show 220, and they are a blessing to us. We certainly appreciate uh, your support, and uh, yeah, what a blessing that is. And then, of course, also our supporters. You can support Messiah Matters for as little as a Big Mac each month. That's right. Uh, for less than the price to get your shirt dry cleaned after you spill mustard on it. Just once a month, five dollars a month. When you're eating your kosher hot dog, that's right. You can, you can, uh, you can. Or if someone else took a bite out of their kosher hot dog and it squirted mustard, that's right. As little as five dollars a month, you can support this show. Go to torresource.com, uh, hover over TR Radio, and then go down to Messiah Matters. There's all sorts of information on how to become a supporter, how to become an executive producer, how to become an associate producer, and also how to sign up for our show notes. Okay, that's it. Now we can get into more important things, or I don't, maybe not more important things. We can get into things that people really want to hear about. So um, let's talk about this. Okay, let's just launch right into this. I don't, I mean, we can do, let's let's do it backwards. Let's do, well, should I, oh, okay, hang on just a sec. Uh, did I bring my book? I didn't bring oh, it. Oh, what? I had a buy, borrow, or bag that I wanted to uh, plug, but uh, unfortunately I, I forgot it. I apologize. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm a horrible person. Um, so are we, should we, uh, we're just not going to do that this week. Then, I guess. You know, I, I'm, I'm just going to say that we should probably skip this week. I apologize. Um, I'm just looking to see if there's anything like that pops out at me on my desk or, you know, on my shelf right now. Um, and, you know. Here, I'll tell you what I'll do. With. 
Go. Do it. Um, this is a good book. It's by G.K. Beale. And it's um, and he he speaks a lot at um, uh, ETS, for example. Evangelical um, Theological Society, yeah, for those who don't know. It's, it's called We Become What We Worship. We Become What We Worship. And it is, it says it's a, a biblical theology of idolatry. So I don't know how, it's probably not too legible there. Um, anyway, this is uh, InterVarsity Press. It might be about, what, 10 years old or so. Hmm. Um, 2008, so hey. Pretty good. Um, anyway, yeah, what, what I like about this book... Now, he's, he's a New Testament, uh, he is the Kenneth uh, T. Westner Professor of New Testament at Wheaton College in Wheaton, Illinois. Um, uh, real rock-solid scholar, Bruce Walkie's got a, a, a plug on the back of this, Thomas Schreiner. Um, what he does, he looks at the, the Torah and the prophets talking about idolatry and how one, one of the key things that sticks out to me is in Isaiah six, for example, remember Isaiah, he says, uh, go to the people. They have, they, uh, they have eyes, but they do not see they have ears, but do not hear. And Yeshua quotes that too. When Yeshua talks about the teaches, the parable of the sower. Right. And what, what Beale's basic argument is, is, they become like what they worship. They become like dumb idols, idols that are made of wood and stone that have eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear. Whereas when we worship the true and living God in the new resurrection life of, that we have in Yeshua, we become alive, just like the living God is alive. Eyes get un, un, yeah, uh, yeah. stopped, the ears get unstopped, right. Yep. And we become, uh, we actually reflect God's image in the way that God designed from creation and that through what Yeshua did on our behalf to restore us to that full image of what it means to be made in God's image. So um, I would say either buy or borrow. So, Uh, you you know, I was thinking about our buy, borrow or bag. Thank you for that, by the way. I was thinking about our segment buy, borrow or bag. Here's the problem with the books that I read. (laughs) <laughs> they're all bag. No, no, they're they're all buys in my opinion. But oh, they're yeah. only buys if you're studying a very specific and very uh, focused study. Nobody okay. wants. I mean, nobody that's listening to this show, I would think, is going to want. I mean, I, I can pick a, a a number of these. Who's going to want? You know, exclusion and exclusion and judgment in fellowship meals. I mean, that's a very very specific. You know, and I think there's a dynamite book, even though I disagree with them. But you know, well, for for those who are uh, leaders in communities, those even if even books like that that might be a little bit of a stretch because of the topic might not be something they're absolutely interested in. The notion of groups and trying to be a shepherd, right, faithful shepherd uh, by God's grace over a, a small flock, and understanding the dynamics that everybody's different. You know, what does it mean to, you know, how, obviously the ideal is to include people, but, uh, when is it time to say, sorry, you know, you know, no, uh, I, I think the no pro- longer here, the problem is, is that for me, um, you know, my studies are in Eucharistic studies. 
So you really have to be into Eucharistic studies to, to, to like the books that it won't be long and I'll be out of books that are mainstream, uh, you know, scholarly. We have another uh, good question here in the chat room. Let me uh, let me expand. This goes from um, uh, this is from Truth Hurts. And they say, I'm seeing so many Torah keeping believers, even some teachers that don't believe they are Christian because in their mind, Christians are lawless and don't follow the true Messiah. Can you clarify? Uh, we've talked a lot about this in the past couple of weeks. You can't, you can't use, it's the identity politics thing. You can't just say, give the label of a group of people and then say all those group of people, you know, do exactly this same thing. I, I just... I, well, I, I totally agree. But I, for me, I mean, the the idea that uh, we're not Christians is is uh, ridiculous. The if the first if the first uh, followers of the Messiah, that is the the uh, apostles and those in the uh, you know in in the Book of Acts are being called Christ, Christians. Now, granted, it was a bad thing that they were being called. You know, it was like a down, but they accept it. Well, it seems yeah, it seems that. Of course, we we don't know for sure because we don't have much evidence. I think it only occurs twice in the apostolic writings. But yeah, it seems that uh, it was Romans outsiders calling them that had identified. They thought this group is unique, and they gave them a no a, a, a name. But the yeah okay granted, but I mean, you know the idea. It, if you're Christian which we are, but you know, if, if you're an average evangelical Christian and somebody says, Oh, are you a Christian? What do you have to do? You don't just say, yeah, I'm a Christian and then let it go. You clarify, right? Yes. I am a, you know, I'm a non-denominational or I'm a Baptist, you know, (laughs) I not believing in infant baptism, you know, like you, you clarify that's something that we have to do no matter what label we want to use. So the idea that we as as messianics or Hebrew rooters or whatever you want to say aren't Christians is total nonsense. And actually, in our show notes from, I th- think, two or three w- weeks ago, we talked about a video that Dave, David, Wil- or my buddy David Wilbur, he did, um, you know, on this topic. He got a lot of pushback for it. There were some really upset people. And so, in, in you know, I, I even said in our show notes, you know, tell us what you think about this. Shoot us an email. Um, of course, no one did, but uh, yeah, I I, th- I think that uh, I think that the idea that we're n- not Christian is is ridiculous. Okay, let's let's get into a more um, uh, structured discussion here. Uh, now, last week, what does that mean? Good question. Uh-huh. <laughs> last week we uh, discussed a ministry uh, that is predominantly in Israel. They uh, are an outreach ministry towards Jewish people trying to bring, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> trying to bring religious Jews, um, non-believing religious Jews to faith in Jesus Christ or Yeshua the Messiah. They made a very public statement. They put it out on their Facebook page. They put it out also on uh, their website and they've written a book on this subject um, and so the, we're not mentioning the name of the, uh, of the ministry nor the person who wrote this, 
uh, for multiple reasons, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's necessary to, um, you know, try to out, they've done it to themselves. So, you know, I'm sure if somebody really wanted to try to track down uh, this information, they possibly could. This person gave 10 reasons and the name of, of, uh, basically the name of this person's article was, are we under the Sinai law? And so this person gave 10 bullet points on why they think we are not under the Sinai law. Now, in and of itself, I think that this is a, this is a straw man title. It's a straw man title in and of itself. And the reason why is because, okay, are you including circumcision to that? That's not the Sinai covenant. That's the Abrahamic covenant. And I'm sure that they're... You know, even Yeshua, even Yeshua says that John, he says, not that it's from Moses, but it's from the fathers. Right. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, even, even the name of it in and of itself, and to be honest, technically, you know, Shabbat is from creation, but even, even if you set that aside, he gave them Shabbat in the wilderness before Sinai. Right. He gave them Shabbat and manna, two gifts, right at the right at the start there you know rob and i were talking about this and once again i i, I don't want to mention the person who the person is who who wrote this but they are going to uh, a, a very prestigious seminary and getting a doctorate right now uh in biblical studies from good teachers so you know um and this person speaks uh, fluent uh hebrew not biblical hebrew that we know of but probably uh, is getting well trained in that as well um and uh, one of the things that I was commenting to Rob is it's unfortunate. You know, we know personally know some of this this person's teachers um, and have discussions with them on on at least a yearly basis, if not more frequently than that. And we certainly disagree with them. They're considered um, at the top of their field in scholarship. Um, and so we we have conversations with them, obviously, because we, we disagree with them. But the the points that are being laid out here are really just standard uh I, I hate to use I don't want to be harsh but it's like regurgitated theology right it's like um you know I hear it I I'm taught it and then I there's really no personal thought it pattern of my like own it, it reminds me of <clears throat> a non-denominational um, kind of probably I would say our Armenian kind of church in America, English church, Christian church that that's, that might be, I don't know. Yeah, that, that's probably what I would say. Well, I mean, the, look, the things you... I'm hearing, the things I'm hearing are not surprising. What's surprising is that it. Sees, try, tries to offer an interpretation of Torah and keeping commandments. Um, that's one thing you won't see. Uh, that's one thing that sets it apart from what, what I would say, like a evangelical, non-denominational uh, Sunday church in America. The only difference is they're going to say, well, we do the Torah uh, to a some degree because that's our mission field. Basically, exactly. That, the people that we're trying to reach uh, value those symbols and those those um, uh, ancient heritage uh, 
values that they'll connect with. And so we'll teach Yeshua through them. So it's, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a comment. I, I feel it's like an itch. I have to, I have to respond to it. Um, somebody's saying that Christianity did not start until the fourth century in the, in the chat room. I, I totally and completely reject that. That's, that's simply not true. Christianity started at the end of the first century into the second century. John was still alive. Polycarp. Now, oh wait, so if you want to say fourth century for a institutionalized top down power uh, hierarchy structure with political power and money. Yeah. Well, if you're talking yeah. about the Roman Catholic yeah. Church, okay, 4th century, Christianity uh, in Rome, even before the Catholic Church, with Polycarp, Eusebius, and uh, the others, they had bishops. Now, it's not like bishops like what we think of today, but there was a structure of community, a Gentile church that was not only ruling other uh, Christian uh, establishments throughout the Asia Minor, Ephesus, Galatia, and whatnot, and even uh, and even pulling rank over the Jerusalem church, right? But they were predominantly, if not fully Gentile, and were certainly the Christian church by that time. And I, in, in my research, one of the things that I've had to um, kind of relent on is the fact that, you know, I want to place the formation of the, the Gentile Christian church sometime in the later uh, second century. It's, it's impossible. The Gentile Christian church uh, really begins to be formed at the end of the first century after the, the temple has fallen and is basically becoming established by the beginning of the second century. And by, the, by 150, 150 to 200, it's not only well established, but they have started replacing um, strongly replacing uh, things within uh, the the Jewish Christian Church. Anyway, um, okay, I'm sorry, that's totally off topic, and I apologize. Um, but I understand, I understand the person's, uh, and the person says was uh, was not new religion illegal? Yes, it was. New religion was illegal, and this is exactly why you have this is why you have the parting of the ways. Fiscus Judaicus didn't, yeah, I, this is a whole different conversation. I'm sorry. Okay, let's get back to the topic at hand. Um, okay, so basically, this is the, back to the person who wrote this. One of the things that I find egregious about um, this, this person's approach is it's almost like they're trying to trick the Jews. That's almost what it feels like, and I think that's how the Jews feel. Oh, we'll celebrate the Sabbath on Saturday, even though we think it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, we'll keep a kosher diet, even though it doesn't matter. We'll keep the festivals. Actually, I don't think they, I don't think they keep a kosher diet because they make a strong, they make. Actually, that's the, that's the one that we're going to hit here. But the point is, is that if you're just keeping the Torah simply as an evangelical tool, I, I mean, come on. Look, the, here's what we have to say about the gospel. The gospel is powerful. Now I might think that the gospel, uh, you know, you might say that the gospel is, X, Y, Z. And I might say that the that it, you're, it's close. We have some of the same basic structures of the gospel, right? Now, I know this gets into ideas of, you know, Paul says if anyone comes preaching a different gospel. But if the gospel that you're preaching is you're free from the law, that's not really the gospel, right? The gospel is in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And I think that this group is, at, that's actually what they're preaching. After you pull away all of the, all of this, you know, kind of political thing that they're doing here, their gospel is the same. The gospel is, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And I think they'd admit to that. 
So this is all kind of the icing on the cake that they're trying to, to peddle, which is kind of nonsense. And we'll look at it. So we're starting at number six here because we did one through five in the in the previous um, in the previous episode. By the way, uh, to to the person JC in the in the um, in the chat room, I, please don't hear me say that I'm I'm uh, you know trying to uh, that I'm upset that, that that I had to. I think that that's a great conversation. It's a great conversation to have, and and it's one that we I think that we we should have, and maybe we can address it maybe in next week's show or something like that. Um, these these are important things. They, they are, and uh, I agree with JC in the chat room that um, that uh, the Roman Catholic Church certainly did not come about until possibly even the fifth century is where I'd probably place the formation of the Catholic Church. Anyway, so uh, please don't uh, please don't hear me coming and down. That, on and you that's for that. the same time if you read Daniel Boyarin's work on this right like borderlines, he says that's when that's when basically quote Judaism becomes rabbinic Judaism right when rabbinic Judah they solidify roughly around the same time now um and so uh and because that's when you have the the age of the with the Babylonian Talmud really kind of seals the deal on that but this is I mean we're, we're having it like this is like a Seinfeld conversation we're literally holding two conversations on two separate completely separate topics at the same time this is good um and Honestly, in in JC's defense in the chat room, um, James White in his church history course has uh, put up some really good arguments on why the Catholic Church didn't form until the fourth or fifth century. So to that, I totally agree. However, we my only point is is that we certainly see um, uh, something different than the Judaisms of the first century start to emerge at least in the beginning of the second century. And uh, I think a, a good testament to this would be the Didache in and of itself, right? Now, I place the Didache about 130 to 150. But the Didache in and of itself, Quattrodesman controversy, PJ's right, that this came about about 150, 160, something like that. So the, these kind of things are, are already taking uh, form. And the Roman, the Roman church, not the Roman Catholic church, but the Roman body of, of believers that at this point in 150 are Gentiles are now pulling rank over the other communities. This is where I certainly see a, a clear distinction between um, the, the Jewish Christians also known as the Ebionites and the, the yeah, anyway, the, the Christian church. Okay, let's get into our other conversation that we're having right now. Um, so we're starting at number six. Sorry. <laughs> if people are confused right now, I apologize. It's it's me we're, as we're, a, it's yeah. me as a producer. I'm not I'm not staying focused here. <laughs> we're and we're a little bit out of our normal deal here, I think. Eight o'clock AM is a lot different than nine thirty, eh? <laughs> okay. Um, let's get into it. Um, number six, this is number six on this person's list. And remember, we're talking now about this uh, ministry that's, uh, the president of this ministry has put out this statement. Um, and the, the question at hand, I'll read the question again. Are we under the Sinai law? And we've already gone through one through five and show 219. I'd encourage you to go back and, uh, and listen to it. Okay. Number six, kosher laws were connected to the temple and we're temporary. This is an interesting statement in and of itself. How are the kosher laws attempt, uh, uh, connected to the temple? 
The kosher laws well, were given in Leviticus well, long before they read, came into read their whole read okay. their whole thing. You know, uh, and then they quote Hebrews nine ten. Um, they are only their, yeah read their yeah uh, they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. External regulations applying until the time of the new order, Hebrews 9.10. Keeping the dietary laws of Leviticus 11 is an essential component of what people mean when they speak of Torah observance today. What people often fail to see, however, and what the writer of Hebrews has so per, uh, perceptively observed, is the connection between the dietary laws and the tabernacle. Leviticus 11 is part of a larger section in Leviticus 11-15 through 15 called the Laws of Purity, all of which are tied to the purity of the tabernacle, Leviticus 16. For example, if one would catch sickness by eating an unclean animal, he might bring his sickness into the temple and defile it. This is no longer relevant for today. His sickness. Yeah. His... I, okay, this is interesting. So I don't know if this person speaks English. Maybe they're, uh, I mean, well, I mean, where in the Bible is there ever an association between sickness and eating something like like eating the wrong food. Can I tell you the honest truth of what I think what I think is going on here? I, well, just a minute. What, what do you understand what I'm saying? Is the idea that yes, don't, and, and, and is it the, don't eat pig because it's unhealthy? And that's the point. Okay, so is that and and yes, that is, so a lot of the time I've heard even non-believers say, "Oh, the, yeah, those laws." They they were made because they couldn't keep pork, um, at, you know, to a, a good, you know, they couldn't refrigerate it, so it was a health issue. And the same with shellfish and those kind of things. It was really a health issue. So so now people are trying to put why God gave us the laws, why why did God give us the Sabbath? Oh, because people were slaves and they were working too hard, and uh, they were working, you know, fifteen sixteen hours a day. They were burning out, so God wanted to give them. No, no, that's no. <laughs> You know, the idea that the kosher laws were given because of sickness is not found anywhere in the Bible. When my no, son asks me, why don't we eat pork? The answer is not because it's unhealthy. The answer is because God told us not to. He wanted to set us apart. Now, we can hypothesize all we want on why God might have, you know, why these laws might be healthier for us, might be good for us, all these kind of things. But ultimately, it's about a relationship with God. And as soon as you try to bring man-made ideas of why these were given, it breaks the whole thing. And this is exactly what's happening here. Well, there's another problem, too, is Noah, well, Cain and Abel offered, Abel offered an acceptable sacrifice from the flock. Right. So Noah discerned between animals that were tehorah, that were clean, that versus that were not clean. And right. he offered ones that were clean. So that's before the Sinai covenant. Do we imagine Abraham ever offered a pig or ever ate a pig? I don't think so. Not only that, if, if the dietary laws are based on an operating priesthood right. with the idea that once, if the temple's destroyed, then dietary laws are done away. Then Daniel, in the Babylonian captivity, there was no temple, there was no priesthood uh, in, in Jerusalem. There was no uh, Kohanim or Levites uh, offering sacrifices in Jerusalem. Yet Daniel opened his window toward Jerusalem and prayed. And not only that, he refrained uh, from eating the king's food. He ate only vegetables and water so as not to be defiled. Well, didn't anybody bother telling Daniel that that was in that was 
no way to honor God because he was actually uh, putting himself under some kind of curse because didn't he realize that there was no uh, reason to do that? No, these people, whoever thought this, you know, I I hope the PhD helps. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's like in just terms of like, come on, let's let's read the scriptures. You know, this is not you don't even need to. I mean, you don't even need to read the original languages. You just need to read the Bible to see. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe maybe that's not right. So um, uh, Joseph in the chat room says for Robert Caleb, what is the meaning of unclean in kosher terms? Well, kosher, we should say kosher is not a kosher is not a an uh, an emic biblical term, right? It's not we're, we're not going to look the, up but the word the, kosher. The, this person's question uh, speaks more to unclean. What does unclean mean? Unclean. Well, unclean is understood in context to to holy space. So, so wouldn't that mean have, tabernacle? Yeah. Yeah. So you know, doesn't holiness, that prove their point? Holiness, because there's God's holiness and death cannot touch. So doesn't right? that uh, agreed? But doesn't that and touch? In between, oh, go ahead. Doesn't that doesn't that prove their point? If it has to do yeah. with space, okay, it does. Next. <laughs> no, I mean, explain yourself. I would just say, I would just say, go back to go. It 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 must have to do with something other. Than the Levitical priesthood, right? Because otherwise, uh, Abel. How, how come Abel had an offering that was accepted? I mean, back we just talked about it. Or Noah, Abel, Noah, how, and even Daniel. Daniel did, in Babylon, right? He, there's no temple operating. It's been destroyed. How, so if that, how, if the argument of these people is true, then that means it would have been true for the diaspora, the Babylonian diaspora. There was no temple, no priesthood operating. That means all the laws are, are were were of no value. Well, not only that, I, I totally agree with you that this has nothing to do with, with space. I mean, unclean uh, when it comes to food, maybe a different conversation in terms of what, the, what does it the mean? Time it, the, the, now, okay, the, the time, in terms of the space of the Mishkan, well, if a person encroaches upon the holy space, they're going to be put to death instantaneously. Right. Right? If there was a person, who, let's say there is a person who's unclean, and they charge and run and start like they're going to run into the holy place, right? Or they're going to run into the uh, Mishkan. There are Levi- Levites there with spear. They're going to, boom, they're going to kill that dude. You're not going to get a trial. There's no trial. There's no, did are there any witnesses? They have, they are charged to protect that space. And, and so, of course, that doesn't apply right now. There is no space to protect. But that does does that logically mean then? Oh well, that means you know whatever God said, don't eat. Go ahead and eat. No, what what, what kind of logic is that? Well, yeah, I I think that uh, the idea of unclean food is a different conversation than than. I mean, obviously, the point that Rob's making is this has nothing to do with uh, with temple space, right? If no one, oh, can... exactly. Here's here's why too, because you could have been, um, you know, out way far away from Jerusalem. And it, it says in, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus also, if you eat, uh, let's say it was a, an animal that normally would have been acceptable, like let's say, you know, beef, 
but it was an animal that died of itself, right? You ate a carcass. Right. And you get un, you you acquire uncleanness for a day. Then you have to you have to immerse and wash and then and you're unclean until evening. The other, that's true for the that's true for the the gare among you as well. The other point is is that we have the temple come back in Ezekiel and Zechariah. So is this person suggesting that the kosher laws will come back? Is I mean this really seems almost like dispensational theology. And maybe it is. Maybe this person is holding to dispensation. It might be that they don't. Do, do they? One thing I don't know is what's their vision of the future of of Israel, or do they think it's really it? Yeah, I, I you know, this person says I was taught it was about talking about unclean. Like, what does the word unclean mean in relationship to food? He says I was taught it was about separation of Jew and Gentile until Peter's vision. Yeah, I, I, I mean, different conversation as well, but uh, totally, totally not the case. Um, I think that, I mean, we once again, we can hypothesize and we can talk about what unclean means. I think that it has to do with uh, what the um, what the animals that are unclean are willing to eat and um, uh, the way that they, yeah, essentially the way that they uh, sustain themselves. But... Once again, that's a that's that's a that's a guess on my part. Something to study further. Number eight, and this is from um, this person. Oh, did we do seven? I'm sorry. Did we do seven? I do not know. No, we did not do seven. I'm sorry. Number seven. We believe God promised a new covenant, not a renewed covenant, that would replace the old one. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of uh, out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. And by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. <laughs> we believe that even prophet Ezekiel's temple prophesies and the end of the Sinai covenant as his description of a future temple contradicts the temple of the Torah. I mean, there's just so much wrong with this. First of all, he quotes Hebrews 8.13, but leaves the, the term covenant in, right? Yeah, covenant's not there. I, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but... Right, so covenant's not there. Um, and not only that, but the exegesis here is just really uh, poor. What's the point of the new covenant? What's the and we've talked about this a lot too. And so I mean, I'm sorry to our regular listeners. We have a good showing. I can't believe man, maybe we should change our time to Thursday. Um you know, we have uh, What's the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant? The Torah, which is given at Sinai is still uh, the central part of it. I will put my Torah on their heart. The difference is that in Deuteronomy he says, "Put my Torah on your heart." And they break it. And with the new covenant, God puts it on our heart and we keep it. The Torah is still the central aspect of the new covenant. It doesn't change. And this person obviously doesn't uh, read Greek. This goes back to, uh, you know, in a way, this comes full circle back to Dr. Beale's book, uh, We Become What We Worship. Why? Here's why. Because, Caleb, just as you just point out, the Shema, the greatest commandment in the Torah which is in Deuteronomy, and this one that is like it is in Leviticus. So if those are done away, then I'm not sure how anything would work. But 
Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel. Right? And then it goes on and it says, right, and these words, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Right? Okay, so hear, listen, right? And, and, and they will be on your heart. Well, what happens? Israel becomes, they, they don't listen. The whole story of the Tanakh is, is like everything falling apart because the vast majority of God's people are basically idolaters. They're becoming deaf. Why are they becoming deaf? Because they're being like the dumb idols that they, that they make. And so the new covenant is like, it's God still like there. He's got his Torah, his will. And so he's like, I'm going to take out the heart of stone, that idolatrous stone that can't see or hear. And I'm going to give them a heart of flesh, a, a heart of a human, a real human, real humanity as in the image that I created. I'm going to give them my spirit and they're going to walk in my ways. And, I, and, and that's how it's written in Ezekiel. I will give them a new spirit. Here it says, I will put my Torah in their hearts. I will write it on their hearts. So this group wants to say, oh, this is, it's not the same Torah. It's right. a different Torah. It's a different Torah. God changed things. When, but our view is that, no, what's changed is us. We're right. what's changed. Right. We're what's changed. Why? Because if you're in Messiah Yeshua, that means when he died for you, you died with him. Your old man died. You're the, and the sin and the wages of, of that sin were paid. And by his grace, he has shared his Ruach with you, his, well, like Paul says in Galatians, that he has put the, God has sent the spirit of his son in your hearts, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. Until you have the spirit of Messiah in your heart, you could say, Abba, Father, all you want, but it's not, it's not the cry of a new heart, of the new, of, of, of the new creation heart. You know, we were talking, if I may, we, we were talking about this, we, and we're reading in Galatians right now in our second year Greek class. Awesome. It's awesome, because we want to read a lot, and so we get in such great discussions. So we're reading Galatians in Greek. But the other night, I, I had a little bit of a footnote that I wanted to share. And I would encourage anybody to, you, you can do this in English, you don't need to look at the Greek, but get the Gospel of Luke. You can use one of your Bible software packages, you know, and just look at the word Abraham, how Luke in the Gospel of Luke, talks about Abraham. And this is important. I know this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, Caleb, but what we'll see here is how John the Baptist says, says and we see this in Matthew also, don't, when the scribes, remember the Pharisees are coming out to him in the wilderness, and he says, don't say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. God's able to raise up children to Abraham even from these stones. And then we hear of a woman who has a withered hand, and Yeshua heals her on the Shabbat, and he calls her a, a daughter of Abraham. She's a daughter of Abraham, and she believed, right? She had faith. And then later we hear of Zacchaeus, who Yeshua says, I'm coming to your house, you know, the little song, right? And Zacchaeus 
basically says, whoever I've wronged, I will repay fully according to the Torah. And, and what does Yeshua say? Salvation has come to this house. He is a son of Abraham. Right. So Yeshua, we have, a, we have a son of Abraham. We have a daughter of Abraham in the Gospel of Luke. We have people who, who John the Baptist says, don't call yourselves, don't just say we have Abraham as a father. But here's the kicker. The kicker is the rich man and Lazarus. Because the rich man and Lazarus is a parable that Yeshua tells of the man that ignores Lazarus. He's with all his wealth. He won't even give him breadcrumbs. He ends up in torment, and he cries out, Father Abraham, Father Abraham. And Abraham's like, can't help you, dude. Father Abraham. So what's the deal? How could, why not? If, there, if we have a daughter of Abraham, we have a son of Abraham, and then we have a person crying out, Abba, Abraham. The point is this. The point is it has to be new creation heart that is doing the calling out. And that only happens by what the Jeremiah describes as Brit Chadashah. It's a work that God does by sending his son, as we, we all know the story, of how he did it in history, how he enacted the Brit Chadashah. Not that it was... Um, that people before that did not have that faith. That's, that, that's not what that means. It doesn't mean like a new way of salvation is opened up. But it is the work of the, another way that is described in Deuteronomy is the circumcision of the heart. Circumcision of the heart. You could be physically circumcised, but if you're not circumcised in your heart, what's not going to do you any good? Paul says, Paul says in Romans 2, you might as well be, it's just as if you're uncircumcised. If you're physically circumcised, but you're breaking the commandments, it's, it's as if you're uncircumcised. Your circumcision isn't going to benefit you at all. You know what? Um, <laughs> that was a big foot, big, big long footnote. Go ahead. No, 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 that's good. Actually, the, the thing is, is that uh, my father talked about this in one of our Messiah Matters More videos on how Abraham had the Holy Spirit and how the new covenant was, uh, you know, enacted with, you know, basically Abraham had, had that as well, had that was part of the new covenant as well. Um, and, uh, so for those who, um, are, are monthly yeah. supporters, I would consider, or I would, uh, encourage you to go watch that. Um, I love that where Yeshua in John eight says, Abraham longed to see my day and he saw it and right. he rejoiced. Right. He saw it by faith. Amazing faith. And it's hard to fathom Abraham's faith. Seriously. Let's keep going. Number eight. Although our ministry members observe the Shabbat on Saturdays and not on Sundays, we do not make a big deal out of it, as it's no longer one day a week that we dedicate to God, but our rest in Yeshua is every day. Do not let anyone, and then they quote uh, uh, Colossians, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a, a, re, a religious festival a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Messiah. Also, that's one issue. Uh, and uh, I mean, it's unfortunate. Once again, a very standard, um, just kind of a, you know, standard view of Colossians 2, 16 through 17. My father's written extensively on this. Um, Anyway, and then they go on to a different issue as well in number eight. They say, also, while we call the Messiah Yeshua, we have prayed in Jesus' name before. I agree that there's, uh, that's totally fine. If you want to pray in Jesus' name, I have, I've written on this too. That There's nothing wrong with this. But listen to this. I wonder if this is tongue in cheek or if they're being serious. And it seems to work just as well. It seems to work. What does that mean? 
I'm not, I'm not sure. Anyway, he knows we talked to him. I agree with that, regardless of which name we use. Uh, once again, I totally agree. Uh, the whole Jesus Yeshua thing, if you are comfortable using the name Jesus, by all means. It's uh, the same name as Yeshua, it's just in English. Uh, you know, if you if you speak Spanish and you like Jesus, uh, great. This is a, a ridiculous, this is a sacred name issue that, that has popped up in the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement, which is totally nonsense. But the idea that that God says that there's a day that will be a sign and a covenant forever, and all of a sudden we can just change it. Or that Paul even, I mean, the idea that Paul had the authority to change God's covenant in Colossians 2, 16 through 17, we don't see this anywhere either. That some yeah, guy... again, the, the issue is not it's the Shabbat, it's that you're not doing, people trying to control you and telling you you're not doing it correctly, right? You need to do it according to our halakha, right? It's it's politics. It's religion religion politics. Agreed. But but it's inter-Jewish type of uh, politics that's spilling over and confusing Gentiles. That's what's happening. It's not, um, again, you know, I mean, we talked about this. What are, our, what are our options? Are our options, you know, for a first century Gentile who is born again to keep do I just keep the pagan calendar of my local village and keep doing, you know, and just like, or, or do I, okay, no, I'm just going to worship the God of Israel, but I'm still going to eat, you know, this food offered to idols locally here and participate in all these things. No, I have to, I have to disassociate with those things. The chat room makes and, a good, the chat room makes a good point. This person says, uh, Evelyn actually says, then I should treat my anniversary as a common everyday event. In other words, I love my wife. And I find love in my wife every single day. But I can guarantee you, it, <laughs> when July 10th comes along, if there's not a bouquet of flowers at least and something else, I'm in trouble. Right, I mean, right? Just because God wants us to remember. How many times does he say, you know, keep this, remember this, tell your, tell the story, Right. Again right. and again and again. Rehearse the story. Know the story. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt. That's part of the commandment on Shabbat, remember? Right. Is that you will remember that you were a slave. Well, why is that important? Because the history, why is it important to remember you're a slave and that God brought us out from there? Because that's Abrahamic covenant. Right. He told Abraham, they're gonna your children are gonna go. He doesn't tell them it's Egypt, but they're going to be slaves, and I'm going to bring them out. That is Abrahamic covenant in the Shabbat command. The memory of God's redemption is in real time in history, right? and it builds. God doesn't just throw one thing away and start something new. If that was the way God was, how, do we, how would anybody ever be secure Maybe that's why they're not secure in like salvation because it's like, you know, God, who knows? Maybe God will change his mind and, and made a, make a, a new covenant. He'll come away and say, you know, that didn't work. Or the option is that, no, God knew what he was doing the whole time. And he didn't, it's not like he had a plan A and now he's like, well, okay, plan A didn't work. I guess I'll try plan B. And it seems like some people's theology is that way. Like God, he tried something and it just didn't work. And so he's like, you know what? I guess I got to go back to the drawing board. That, that's not the way to read the scriptures. 
Okay, let's move on to the next one. I'm actually a little confused by this, to be to be completely frank. Um, and maybe it's just because I'm reading it wrong. I'll read it out loud. Maybe that'll help. Um, number nine, we believe that rabbinical Judaism falsely teaches that the Messiah's role will be to point us to the law in order to teach us how to better observe the commandments and has erroneously influenced Torah observant groups. While we hold to Paul's teaching that the law points us to the Messiah and that the Torah's goal is the Messiah himself. I agree that the law is certainly to point us to the Messiah, right? Um, and I also agree, but the Messiah himself says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, I assume, maybe I shouldn't, but I assume that this group believes, and I think I've seen some things on uh, their stance on the deity of the Messiah. I believe that this group fully uh, uh, believes in the deity of the Messiah. If that's the case, then what are the commands of Yeshua? Uh, well, he gave them to Moses on the, on the mountain. I've written a paper on, on uh, what Moses saw on the mountain. I think it was Yeshua. But, I mean, when he says, keep... You know, if you love me, keep my commandments. What does he mean? Is it some arbitrary list that uh, that messianics and Hebrew roots and Christians think was created in the uh, in the New Testament, or was it the Torah itself? I mean, I think the, the you know when he says, "My Father is written on this too." Tim Hague is written on this too. When he says in Matthew five seventeen. Truly, truly, I say unto you, until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or stroke will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Okay. Now, it seems like Yeshua is upholding these as commandments. So when he now, when he now says, if you love me, keep my commandments, wouldn't this include... No, I think they're. I think they're going to say that it's a different set of commandments. I mean, that, that's the, that's what they're going to say. That and Jesus once, gave different and commandments. Once again, and well, we've, you're going to get this from the very last bullet. The very last bullet. Okay, this explains why. Okay, but here, but here's the point. You know, we've asked uh, Torah resources as a whole has put out the uh, the question to these sorts of groups. What's the list? If it's not Torah, what's the list of commandments that you think that we should be keeping? And we've had someone, all... So I saw someone, it's a long time ago, but they counted like all the commandments in the, quote, New Testament. And there's like a thousand maybe, I think. I don't know. There's a lot. But yeah, what what are the lists? Well, some are going to say... There's lists for Gentiles and there's lists for Jews and they're separate. Course, right, and and we've gotten, and, but but once again, even the, even those lists have not been uh, fully put out. You know, we've we've had people say, well, it's the the moral law needs to be keep kept. We've had people try to put forward the didache, which is ridiculous. I would say, is it important? Does it does the Shema apply to a Gentile believer? Right, hero Israel. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength. I would think so. Right. Well, that commands for Israel. It says Shema Yisrael. Right. Huh. So if it applies to me, am I like, well, wait a minute. It doesn't apply to me because he's not talking to me. Is it? Do I? Is that a little, little thought that comes up that blocks that word? Oh, not for me. Don't love God with all my heart, soul, and strength. Or the second, love your neighbors yourself. That's right in the core of Leviticus. Wait a minute. 
What's Why would it come? What's interesting, what's interesting about, and okay, so maybe we should expand a little bit on this. You know, when we say, okay, what are the lists? And Rob already alluded to the fact that some of these groups will say, well, there's different lists for Jews than there is for Gentiles. Okay, so what are the, what are the lists? A lot of the time people will say things like, oh, the Sabbath, oh, the festivals. Okay, well, a Gentile has to be circumcised to celebrate the Passover, which has two Shabbats connected to it. So apparently a Gentile is not only supposed to be circumcised, which is not Mosaic covenant, that's Abrahamic covenant, which applies to the nations. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But on top of that, it expects that they will celebrate one of the biblical festivals and it expects that they will celebrate at least two Shabbats. So when someone says that the Gentiles shouldn't be keeping the festivals of the Shabbats, that's not what... That's not what the Torah prescribes. And this reminds do- me. This reminds me of uh, this week's Torah portion for those who are on a. I'll pull it up here real quick. For those who are doing the three year, of course, because uh, at Torah Resource Institute we go through the the three year, and and every week we have a an audio uh, discussion. And this week was uh, was my my week. And anyway, so one of the things I talked about is in Deuteronomy 10, which is our reading, it uh, talks about loving the gear because God loves the gear. So um, specifically, I'm in Deuteronomy 10. And now this is all about, uh, in the context, circumcise your the foreskin of your heart, he says. But then he talks about himself. Yodhe talks about himself, that he's a righteous judge, right? He does not respect persons. He doesn't accept a bribe. And then it says, Osei mishpat yatom v'almana. He does justice for the orphan and the widow. And then it says, Ohev ger. And he, he loves, loves the ger. Loves the ger. And then verse 19, V'ahavtem et ha-ger, ki gerim ha-yitem and you will love the gear because you yourself were garim. You were gears in the land of Egypt. Right. Now, what's interesting here is if you look at the Septuagint, or the it wasn't called that then. It was the Greek Torah. The Greek Torah, this is from 250 B.C. roughly, so centuries before Yeshua in the incarnation. They use the word proselyte here. So you might say, oh, you know, he, God loves the proselyte. And you might think, oh, that means like the rabbis, that means convert. But then it, but, and it says, and you too will love the proselyte. For you were proselytes in the land of Egypt. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Can the Greek mean convert if, if he says, no, you need to love the proselyte because you yourselves were proselytes in the land of Egypt? How can that mean convert? How, could, how can that mean convert in the Greek? text. It, it does not mean convert. Preach. It means sojourner. <laughs> it means marginal, uh, marginal, vulnerable community that's on the, the, you know, that is dependent upon the kindness of the host for, for sustenance. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Van Hoff. Very good. Excellent. Okay. Anyway, Let's so- move on. Let's, we're, we're coming down to the wire number 10. Here we go. And this is where uh, they're going to expand on their belief here. Number 10, and the final bullet point here, we believe that lasting change comes only through Yeshua. I agree. Totally. Yeshua's commandments deal not only with the external, 
They go deep into our hearts and cause us to change from the inside. Amen Let's again. pause right there. Okay. Pause right there. The implication, though, is that Yeshua, that the Torah is different because Yeshua's right. Torah goes further. Keep, go ahead. Keep going. Well, and they say, through the empowerment of the Spirit. I totally agree with this statement, but Yeshua's commands are the commands of Torah. Yeah, so read the... Okay, the, here we go. With Yeshua, murder is not limited to a physical killing. Adultery is not limited to a physical union. The standards are now much higher. Yeshua calls and empowers... That's where, that's where I part ways. I don't think that... I think even in the Tanakh, if someone had hatred in their heart and didn't physically murder the person, that person, God is, is not pleased with that person. Yeah, that's right. If you have something against your brother... Right, God sees the heart. Just it's like if you remember uh, where Samuel is looking through all Jesse's sons, and you're like, "Man, this this guy must be it. No, this guy must be the king." And he's like, "Do you have any other?" And here comes David. And what is the lesson there? Sam, the Lord tells Samuel, "Man sees on the outside; God sees the heart." Does God all of a sudden start seeing the heart when Yeshua comes, or has God seen the heart all the way all through? through. And here's the thing is that why did the people that, that, uh, why did the children of Israel, right? It's, it, I mean, certainly they didn't, they didn't enter into the land. The Psalms tell Joshua them, and Caleb did. Right. But, but it says, they, surely they will not enter my rest. Yeah, exactly. That's in the Psalms, right? So, so yeah. the point is, and, and what does Paul tell us? That every time that Yeshua was preached from the Torah, I'm I'm certainly paraphrasing here, but uh, you know every time that the the Torah was was uh, read, a veil led uh, laid over the Torah, and they couldn't see. Right? Why? Because it wasn't a matter of of the heart. Isaiah tells us this too. Stop bringing your stinking sacrifices. They're a stench in my nostrils. Right. Right. They're like bloody rags. Your works are like bloody rags. Why? Because it, there was nothing in the heart for them. They didn't love the, the Messiah. They didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's keep going. Um, Yeshua calls and empowers us through his spirit to control our anger, shun lust, and love our enemies. I, I agree, but so does the, I mean, one, a point already made. You see, while following traditions are concentrating on what and how to do or not to do external things, we only become bitter with those around us and turn venomous toward those who do not agree with us. Yeshua's goal is to deal with the inside, deep in our hearts, teaching us to love God and therefore to love all of his creation everywhere, all of the time. And then they quote Romans 3, uh, 13, 18. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has has fulfilled the law. Yeah, fulfilled. There's a commandment there. Right. Love your neighbor as yourself. He cites he cites the Torah. I I. There's a connection here. There seems to be a conflation with tradition of man and the Word of God, and I can appreciate that if if you're in Israel and you've got different zealous uh, Jewish groups that are not in Yeshua. Right, and they're very exacting on their halakhic uh, way of life, and very isolationist in some cases. Um, and then you've got the added state issues of some refusing to uh, serve in the military, 
because their Talmud store, their Talmud study uh, takes uh, precedent, or you have ultra groups that are even anti-Zionist, right? That won't even get a state uh, identification number because their families have been there for hundreds of years. They're, they see Zionism as an outside thing being pushed on them. Okay, so I can understand how when you start talking about keeping commandments as a messianic believer in Yeshua in the land, that ultimately you might bump into these kinds of things. And so one way to avoid bumping into those things is to just retreat and say, well, we don't, you know, the Sabbath really is done away. You know, we just do it, you know, because it helps us connect with other Jews um, or whatever. But I, w- I, would, I would say this, that that is not, and they might quote like First uh, Corinthians 9, oh, well, to the Jew, you know, we're be- being like Jews, you know, as a ministry. But Paul went into the synagogues of unbelievers and preached the gospel on Shabbat. So I doubt they're doing that. I doubt that these people are going in and worshiping with, on Shabbat, with Orthodox groups and then raising their hand and and teaching Yeshua. Maybe they do. Maybe they do. Uh, if they do, wow, you know, I think that's that's an amazing, uh, weighty calling. Um, and I would pray that God would bless them in that. But uh, if they're not doing that, if they're just gathering in homes or and they have a church that they rent and they gather, um, and then they invite seculars in, secular Jews in, then at some point they're going to have to say, well, we're just, we, we don't really keep the Shabbat. And you know what, you don't, and then that person has to go through this noise of like, well, wait a minute, my parents were Orthodox. And even though I'm secular, I still eat kosher. I have, you know, I have, um, but now they're telling me, and so there's, there's a difficulty here in my view. So Adam makes a great point. He says, they separate Yeshua from the father with a list of Yeshua's commandments. In other words, if God, the father made commandments, that were given to Israel at Mount Sinai. And now you're saying that Yeshua has given a separate commandment, separate commandments. You're pitting the father against the son, right? There's two different sets of commandments according to... Unless, unless, well, they solve that by the timeline. They solve it by chronology. They say one age ended... And then there was a, a, the time of the Reformation happened. This is back to their quote of, of Hebrews chapter right, right. 9, verses 10, I think. Uh, and then a new thing happened. And so the new thing, but it, it, here's another place why that doesn't work, is because why would there be an ongoing curse of the Torah on anybody? Why would there, why is there even a problem with sin? Paul says, you know, the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven upon all ungodliness of man. Right. What does that mean? How is the wrath of God being revealed from heaven? Where, where did the wrath of God come from heaven? It's where God gave the Torah from heaven. And it's uh, the curse of the Torah is on, on the world because, because all have sinned. And God, has ju- God is just to be wrath, to have wrath and bring wrath. And so if that's done away, then, yeah, it's just, it's a difficult thing. Um, why is, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, I don't understand the logic fully. 
If you want to weigh in on this conversation, please do so. You can give us a comment on our comment line, 253-465-3205. I'll give it to you again. It's 253-465-3205. And remember, you won't be talking to us. So if you're angry about what we've been saying or you disagree, uh, just call up and you can leave a message. We'll listen to it. Actually, we've been uh, receiving more phone messages than normal, which has really been nice. And uh, we're going to actually be using uh, some of them in the uh, upcoming show. You can also send us emails, chegg at chegg at torahresource.com, chegg at torahresource.com. We certainly do appreciate everyone who um, goes and and, uh, sends us emails and uh, sends us, uh, you know, gives us phone messages and those kind of things. This show is actually built on um, on the comments and the articles that you guys send us and those kind of things. And if we don't respond to something that you've uh, asked or whatnot, you can either ask it again or you can uh, assume that we just we do get a lot of messages and we're not trying to neglect anyone by any stretch of the imagination. So um, we hope that this conversation has helped um, in multiple ways. Obviously, we... Uh, We hope ultimately that uh, it's helping benefit you in uh, apologetics and your study of the word. Um, And that's really one of our goals. Another one of our goals is to do one thing, glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? Because the Messiah matters. 